0: Okay. Hey folks, welcome to the Battles of the First World War podcast. We have a very special guest here with us today, Miss Laura Vogt. Miss Vote is the curator of education at the National World War I Museum and Memorial. Founded in 1926, the museum holds the most comprehensive collection of great war artifacts in the world and has been ranked one of the top 25 museums in the country. Under Ms. Vote's guidance, the museum has consistently broken records for public program attendance, educational participations, and developed internationally recognized curriculum and online exhibitions. This episode, we will have an audio podcast virtual tour of the Natu- National World War I Museum and Memorial and some of its exhibits. If you have never visited the National World War One Museum and Memorial, and are on the fence about it for any reason, I don't know why you would be, I am quite sure this episode will end any such doubts. I shamefully admit I have yet to visit the museum myself, and while I don't need to be sold on getting out there to visit, you totally had me at World War I, I am mightily interested in hearing about the history of the museum itself and what we can find there. So Miss Vogt, welcome and thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: Oh, that is my pleasure, and please call me Laura.
0: Laura, okay, very good. <laughs> All right, so Laura, um, we'll just start right away. Could you, um, well, it, how did you, um, how did you become the, the curator of education for the National World War One Museum?
1: I, you know, I honestly, I had begun my career as a classroom teacher. I, I taught everything, uh, kind of kindergarten, and actually. Through grad school, uh, that is a much longer, different story for another podcast. Uh, sure. and I started looking for dream jobs, which anybody listening to this type of podcast is going to understand how um, the, the type of job to be standing at the intersection of uh People and people who want to learn about World War One and the artifacts, mm-hmm. and this amazing collection that we have of um, international artifacts that share the story uh, and the words of the of the people who who lived through it, and in some instances died in in this space um was just uh, really uh, that was that was it i began uh, i was looking for for a dream job uh, the opportunity came up and i just happened to have uh, the the right intersection of skill sets and experiences um uh, that allowed me to uh to to um, take yeah get into get into this space uh, i started working here back in 2011, so closer to a decade than not at this point, and it's really been a pleasure to be a part of the entire centennial process, um, and to see uh, just the, uh, the the rise of interest, uh, and to be a part of so many recognitions of incredibly momentous uh, moments in history and and their enduring impact.
0: Wow, that's that's awesome. I, I've encountered um, several several people with, with an education background um, who, 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 you know, have kind of come on here. This is, this is so cool. Um, I'm, I'm a social studies teacher myself by day. So, um, yes. oh, awesome. All right. So um, since we're on the education and, and history, um, why was Kansas city chosen as the site for the national world war one museum and memorial? And what's the, what's the history behind uh, the building of the museum there?
1: Oh, sure. So um, really, the National World War I Museum and Memorial is in Kansas City, Missouri, because uh, Kansas Cityans uh, wanted it to be. And they were a, a very civic minded group and I, they remain a very civic uh, minded community who mm-hmm. managed to raise uh, two point five million dollars in just 10 days back in 1919.
0: Back in 1919.
1: Right. Wow. So that's uh, roughly about, you know, $34 million today, which wow. all of us, especially, right, if you are a social studies teacher, uh, mm-hmm. you, anybody, there's any school wants $34 million. Any nonprofit museum would love to have $34 million in 10 days. That's a great, that's a great day. Um, yeah. You wow. know, they, they really managed to uh, do this fundraising effort, which Uh, according to some statistics involved over 80% of the greater Kansas city area, um, contributing to this monument, um, to honor those, uh, you know, to honor those who had, who had fought for, um, democracy for liberty and, um, our nation. Wow. That was, um, that was how it began, uh, because they were quite, Successful with that fundraising effort, and you'll see, uh, you know, around uh, around the nation, there are so many memorials to World War One. And I would just really encourage anyone listening to this podcast to just do a little bit of digging. And and I can almost guarantee that in your city, in your county, there mm-hmm. is a World War One memorial because across the nation, uh, people really were motivated to to recognize the the sacrifice. Uh, But it was the Kansas Cityans who writes MacDab in the heart of our nation, right across the street from one of the busiest railway stations in the really in the world at the time, the Union Station um, here in Kansas City. Uh, They uh, dedicated this hill in 1921 with five major allied leaders uh, who had never been together uh, in one place before. They were from uh, Belgium, Great Britain, France, the United States, and Italy. They actually then went four of the five, then left Kansas City, and they went to um, Arlington. They took that train to Washington, D.C., and they dedicated the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier oh, wow. uh, at Arlington Cemetery. So there is this uh, this real global history to uh, this Heart of America National Museum and Memorial. Uh, So it was dedicated in 1921. We actually started collecting in 1920 and we opened uh, the space, um, the exterior space in 1926. Uh, It's has a, uh, it's a large campus. It's about 27 acres or so really lovely vistas of, uh, of the city, we've got um, a beautiful art deco limestone, um, and other, uh, other materials that I am not going to make the mistake of even starting to get into it. <laughs> um, but this beautiful 1920s architecture, two exterior buildings, one uh, memory hall that was built to be a community meeting space that's just got some gorgeous um, oil paintings that have oh, their own wow. history to get into. Um, and... Lino mosaic floors. The other uh, building was always intended to be a museum, and then we've got this uh, beautiful tower that is actually larger than uh, the Statue of Liberty, from the tip of her toes to the top of the torch. Wow. Um, that you can go up to the top of, and there are these four guardian spirits of um, courage, honor, patriotism, and sacrifice, and a beautiful great frieze um, down at the uh, down at the foundation that kind of. Um, looks out into the city and, and, uh, sets forth this call to the present, but I won't say that right now. I'll share that Mm -hmm. part later because I feel like I'm, I'm I'm already starting to, to, to wax. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) and and feel free to do so. Like, (laughs) oh, that's great. That's great. Um, Awesome. So, as as someone like like myself who's yet to visit, right? So you, you're telling us about the grounds and everything. Like, can you can you walk us into the museum and tell us like what we'll see as we come in?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, on the exterior, when you drive up, um, there's this. Um, again, it's this. It almost reminds you a little bit of um, the the mall. That space between like Lincoln Memorial and Washington Memorial. There's this yeah. uh, kind of mall that you can drive up. Trees flank either side and you come up and you'll see the tower. You see these Assyrian sphinxes. Um, the difference, and you uh, you probably know this, the difference between an Assyrian sphinx and like the sphinx that we think of in Egypt is that Assyrian sphinxes have wings. Yes. And so uh, you see these two sphinxes and their wings are covering their faces. They're actually covering their eyes. Oh. One is to represent... Memory, and it's facing the battlefields, and it is covering its eyes in in mourning, uh, oh. to right to you know, to to shade its view from the horrors and the devastation of war. Mm-hmm. And then the other, which I really just find so poetic um, is a uh, future and it's covering its eyes because we never know what the future holds. So even in 1926, when this was opened and it's dedicated to the world war, mm-hmm. even then the architects and everyone around this knew that we didn't know what the future might hold, but that this memorial was to stand in honor of this moment and to, um, you know, to inspire, um, to inspire those uh, to be making choices to enduring peace, and uh, we'll we'll talk about that. You can't see that when you walk right in. What you see is these Assyrian sphinxes, right. these two buildings, the tower. Uh, but then you actually walk down, uh, mm-hmm. and there's this uh, kind of lovely dark um, sidewalk that takes you down underground. There's um, there's a big, huge bronze doors, uh, and it's. Um, it's a, a little bit like, if you imagine, um, and they really don't love it when I say this, but this is my best example. Um, it's built into the hill. So almost like a, like a hobbit hole, right? Wow. You know yeah. How big and how wonderful the space is. So you mm-hmm. see the exterior, but then you walk in these big bronze doors, um, and you feel like you're walking underground, but there's this, um, there's this beautiful sunlight, uh, that streams in through this glass roof. Over a glass bridge, and that glass bridge is over a field of nine thousand poppies, oh, and wow. each one represents a thousand combatants who died during the war. Wow. Uh, and it really is this kind of breathtaking experience. And they and they wanted it to feel as if, um, and, you know, in some ways, you were kind of walking into the trenches, that you were walking into a, a space that was um, kind of dark, uh, and then experience this. Um, this light and this uh, symbolism of, I I mean, now of veterans and support that really started back in World War I. Uh, When you, once you get your ticket, you walk across that glass bridge and um, our main gallery um, is, yeah, our our main gallery is is right across and it starts with the very beginning part of what the world was like back in 19, uh, really like, late 1913, early 1914. And then Mm -hmm. see these three cities that were the superpowers of the time, Paris, London, Berlin, and books, right? The things that these political leaders were reading, because that's incredibly important, what people are thinking about, um, what influences them to make the choices that they do. Um, And we start uh, with a timeline that has the same make and model of Firearm that was used to assassinate Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife uh, Sophie Chotek. Um, and then it continues on around in a circle um, uh, yeah, that is uh, tells the global story uh, using these beautiful primary sources. Posters uh, from Italy and uh, from North Africa, from Germany and Britain. We have trenches, uh, model trenches of, of Germany and Britain and France and what a collapsed trench uh, would have looked like. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. To, to try to uh, convey and, and bring... Uh, bring the guest uh, just that moment of experience to understand a little bit more what it was like to be around in those spaces but it's really as you go through uh, the gallery it really is the the words of those who lived through this time frame uh, that are in red font on the timeline and within each of these different um, within each of these different segments of the East and the, and the West gallery uh, that, that really tell the story and give these differing perspectives, whether or not you were a a 12 year old um, girl um, Mm -hmm. wanting to support the war effort or a conscientious objector, a German, a Brit, a Frenchman. um, That is uh, that's really what we try to do is to immerse the visitor in uh, the words and the artifacts that really help share that, um, that that personal experience and help tell that global story.
0: Wow! So this is so cool. So you, you as you walk in, you're you're like you kind of see right away the the poppies, which hey, you know they they, they tell you about the losses, but then you the museum is putting you right in that world like as it was mm-hmm. not, not as we're remembering it but as it was back then so that's that's like um that's something that's always hard um that's uh for myself is I'm always feel I'm I'm working on that is like I have to kind of mute the the biases that 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 we have now you know like looking back like um for example like we look back at November 11th the morning and how in some places the the United States army continued attacking the Germans, like knowing that the war would be over in a few hours. And so today, like we, we look at that and we're like, Oh my God, that was such senseless slaughter. Um, but at the time, you know, they thought that the Germans were, were basically trying to pull a fast one on the allies. So they were like, you know, no, like we're, we're going to keep hammering at these guys to let them know that, that we mean business. And, um, but that that like gets lost. So so this is excellent. Like right away you're you're put into this world. So. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and we do we we really look at 1914 through 1919, and and for the most part that is our collecting initiative on a global scale. So the first half of the main gallery uh, really looks at that 1914 through 1917. So you see what it is uh, to be on the Western Front, the Eastern Front. Uh, what it what it is to be really outside of the United States because we weren't yet involved in this war, but we are currently, we were then, and we are now a nation of immigrants and our collection, Mm -hmm. which if I'm not mistaken is over 97% donated is because of all of these people's stories, right? And so they donated, or in, in some instances gifts. Our oldest uh, piece within the collection is artifacts. It's rubble from the Cathedral of Rem that was wow. given to us as a gift from the government of France back in 1926 when we opened. Wow. Um, we The first half really Tells this global story and sets the stage. There are these two movies as well, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention them. The first really sets the stage as to why does this war begin, and really, um, it's messy uh, and it's not easy to understand. And if I'm not mistaken, the script actually says that's potentially one of the best reasons why it began in and of itself because it it, it was so difficult, it was so messy. Oh. Um, and the it's a twelve minute video um, that really does an exquisite job of expanding um, into the different reasons why uh, this war came about, and how quickly after Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who was assassinated June twenty eighth of nineteen fourteen, how quickly uh, the world cascades. Really, in the month of August, uh, you have three. Uh, you have this, Oh, goodness, you've got North America, you've got Europe, Africa, Asia, and Australia. You've got five continents that go to war uh, really within one month. Um, And it is breathtaking. Uh, to see this cascade of of choices, of alliances. Uh, But it takes it past, if there are any other social studies teacher, it takes it past that acronym of MAIN and gets into a little bit more uh, detail, but very efficiently. Mm -hmm. There's another video uh, that plays um, that explains what in the world was going on in the United States at this uh, turn of the year. We elected a president, to the presidency, Woodrow Wilson, because Mm -hmm. he kept us out of the war. Uh, He goes into uh, office in 1917, and within uh, four months, we do head into the war. So we really kind of dissect that, look at the different feelings going on, the different experiences of um, the variety of people inside the United States at the time, the different feelings, which... we can really understand today. We are, uh, in some ways, more similar to uh, to the United States a hundred years ago uh, mm-hmm. than we were, you know, uh, other uh, than a than a variety of other times in our history um, of this kind of division of should we be involved in global war, should we not? What should that look like? And mean, it really kind of describes how we make those choices and what takes us to that April 2nd choice uh, of Woodrow Wilson to make a um, an ask to Congress. And then ultimately the April 6th um, affirmation that we were going to war against Germany. Pardon me.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no worries. I actually... Um... <laughs> I just, I just saw my cat was in the corner here, so I very quietly let, let her out before she started – before she came on the show as well. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so at, at the museum, what, what are some permanent exhibits that visitors really gravitate towards?
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, there's so many different things depending upon what, uh, what people love uh, and what they're most interested in. Uh, we have a variety of folks who really are, are very interested in the innovation of the battlefield. Uh, you know, this is the war that went from a, a 19th century. There was a 19th century military ideology, but it was up against 20th century technology. And mm-hmm. so you really see a very quick shift from, um, you know, the same type of firearm that was used you know, in the French and Indian Wars, uh, in some instances, um, right. up against um, a variety of machine guns and, and uh, the major artillery guns, uh, the French 75, things along that line. We've got a beautiful, um, that's apparently that's, you say beautiful when you do my job. Um, mm-hmm. we've, got, well, um, <laughs> we've got a Renault tank <laughs> um, that is, that had been on the battlefields. Wow. Um, you know, it's got the, it, it's got these wood kind of guiding discs there. Uh, we've got a Harley Davidson uh, motorcycle that I, you know, anyone who really enjoys motorcycles will be quite pleased to see this. We mm-hmm. also have a variety and this is all just in the main gallery. Um, we also have I would argue one of the, the the deepest collections of of women's artifacts um, on the global scale of uh, uniforms and letters, and so you can really see some of uh, the kind of the different roles that women uh, that that women took within the war. We've mm-hmm. got a, a doctor's uniform, uh, and it's it's a pair of pants, which you know is not seeming it doesn't seem surprising now, but World War One really is what kind of makes that shift for American culture that reputable women could in fact wear pants. Right. Uh, Because so many women did take on new responsibilities Mm -hmm. uh, during this wartime.
0: Would so would would a a a woman doctor wearing, you know, wearing trousers on the battlefield would would that have been as as controversial as like if she wore them out to dinner? Like even back then?
1: I um I would imagine if a woman were, I, the, I, you know what, it's a really good history question. <laughs> I'll have to look into what would have sure. happened if a woman had worn trousers. Uh, but I mean, part of my job is working on public programs and the like. Mm-hmm. So we've done actually a fair amount of things with French, uh, with, with not just French fashion, with, but with fashion in general mm-hmm. um, and how it changes in World War One. I. I mean, the reason a trench coat is called a trench coat is because of World War One. It is the type of coat that men wore in on the battlefield right, in the right. trenches. and then it trans uh it kind of transcended to be something that people wear on the boulevard mm-hmm. so i would uh, say yes at some point i just don't know when uh, trousers became acceptable for women to go out to dinner sure. with and i'm sure that there were certainly some um spectacular folks who might have been wearing trousers uh prior uh mm-hmm. prior to that but it's amazing just the everyday nature Uh, of things that we take for granted today that really did shift because of this moment in history, you know, that, that men started wearing wristwatches um, comes about really uh, because of world war one. Wow. Oh, absolutely. A wristwatch had been something that women had worn, but you certainly didn't want to go over the top before anybody else. uh, And you don't want to be behind taking it out of your pocket. Right. Uh, there's just a wide variety of things from right. So from fashion to medicine, uh, the invention of uh, plastic surgery, uh, mm-hmm. the greater use of X-rays. Um, I mean, there's just uh, it's it's extraordinary, and I look forward to all of your visitors coming to visit us here because we have um, all of these things that I'm starting to talk about. These beautiful, right? These these wristwatches, yeah. the artillery guns. We've got the um, the uniforms and the trench coats and uh, we have the different medical um, innovations and like some vehicles, all of those things are part of the regular uh, part of our main um our main gallery. and then we've got three, Pardon me. Four other galleries that uh, rotate on a continual basis. Okay. Um, we have Memory Hall, which I was speaking about uh, before. Originally, it was a community meeting space. Right now, I believe it's got um, a photographic exhibition up about devastated lands and the environmental impact uh, that oh. uh, happened because of World War One. I. I mean, they still um, take out tons of, uh, metal and, uh, ammunition, the Damon news uh, around France, um, are incredible, brave human beings, uh, who, uh, especially every, every spring as things thaw, go around uh, the nation and, um, they take care of things that are are still alive ammunition that is right. uh, that's still alive. Right. Um, so that is, um, just one of the exhibitions that we currently have, but we've got in that memory hall as well uh, the Pantheon de la Guerre, which at one point in time was the world's largest oil painting. Uh, there were some French artists who wanted to be part of the war uh, effort. They were too old, and so this was going to be a war that was going to be over before the leaves fell. They decided they were going to paint the heroes of the war. Wow. And uh, they began these paintings. Uh, They began this painting in uh, 1914. They finished it just a couple of weeks before uh, the armistice. And uh, it ultimately had over 6,000 individuals. It was larger than a football field. We've got some beautiful footage on our website. And I would encourage anyone uh, to actually see the images of what I'm talking about uh, to go visit there. It's www.theworldwar.org. We've got a seven-minute little documentary about... Um, this, about this oil painting and how it ended up in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, uh, spoiler, it actually is because of a German restaurateur um, in in the Northeast, uh, closer to where you are based.
0: Oh, isn't that something?
1: Yeah. So I, if you want to find out more about that story, go to theworldwar.org and you can uh, click on about on the museum and memorial and, and you can see that. So that's over there in Memory Hall. Across the courtyard uh, we've got Exhibit Hall and right now we've got an exhibition about 1919. It's been uh, really glorious during the centennial uh, 1914 through 1919. We've been following this uh, chronology and looking at the main events and the stories of the individuals of the nations um, Mm -hmm. um, and and these these different moments uh, that occurred. We currently have 1919 um, and some extraordinary pieces of uh, of, of Russian artifacts, uh, in particular, uh, that are kind of explaining the world story of uh, you know 1919. And you know we say that uh, the war was 1914 to 1919, but I mean, there's still Americans who are actually on uh, that are in combat. We've got the Polar Bear Expedition that is still going on. Let right. alone those who haven't gotten back to their home countries, and some people whose homes don't even exist anymore. There are brand new nations. Mm -hmm. Uh, and There's a lot of uh, complexity uh, and uh, a lot of, of, of stories that ultimately set the stage for what happens later on in the century. Now we've got a memory hall exhibit hall. If you go to um, our Edward Jones research center level, and we do have a wonderful study collection. That's not a lending library. Mm -hmm. Uh, Invite anybody who wants to be doing research or writing on uh, the first world war to uh, contact our archivist um, or the research center. There is the Ellis gallery where we do a lot of um, exhibitions on art uh, which is lovely uh, opportunities to kind of look at, at political cartoons, um, to look at how men and women were processing uh, the war as well. Um, in some instances, we had a beautiful exhibition of um, soldiers' uh, soldiers artwork from the trenches. Um, and then we also have the Wiley Gallery, which was opened in 2017. Um, and that, uh, is a more of a kind of black box uh, type experience. So every time you go into it, it, it has a different feeling. It's got, um, and it's a, it's a, a lovely large space that allowed us to open with John Singer Sargent's guest right now, oh. we have an exhibition about Vietnam, um, yeah. and okay. are able to write In Vietnam and the, the Vietnam war is just a, a part of the enduring impact of world war one. Um, so we're able to kind of explore how um, this moment continues to impact and unpack some of those moments later on in history.
0: Yes, and um, w- this year um, was the uh, 50th anniversary of a um, of the the Battle of Hamburger Hill in in Vietnam, and um, it was it was in May um, the the anniversary. But um, so there's a some some photos of that hill after the battle. And it's, you know, it's, you've got, you know, 1960s era GIs walking through this devastated hill of like shattered trees and shell craters and everything. And and I just thought, you know, when I saw it, I was like, wow, just, just replace the uniforms. And it's, that's, you know, that's world war one happening right there. Like this slog up this, up this particular hill. But um yeah. And, and Vietnam, I think, you know, Yes, like not a not a large land war, but, you know, more like attrition based. But I I still feel like some some big parallels with with World War One, you know. And then, of course, going back, you know, um, Ho Chi Minh, I believe, uh, attended the the Paris Peace Conference. He
1: was he was absolutely in Paris wanting to have conversations about Um, you know, about having a level of self-determination that was part of Woodrow Wilson's 14 points for uh, the the people of uh, Indochina, which was at that point in time a uh, a French colony. And that that actually is part of the story that we unpack before you head into that Vietnam exhibition. It's amazing. And as we look at these different conflicts, um, how many similarities there are. And I think that's the case throughout history. It's amazing how, how many similarities um, and lessons that you can actually learn, uh, when you take a look back, I would also say, and I, and I don't recall whose, uh, quote this is, uh, but no one's war is the same war. Even if people are in the exact same battle, uh, their war experience is different and it is unique. And that is part of what, uh, what we do here is, uh, recognize, uh, recognize those stories and, and try to understand those greater lessons, um, of the, of not only the World War, uh, but um, again, kind of that enduring impact, how it has continued to uh, impact not only the United States, but the but the world. I do realize as I was explaining this space, I may have missed mm-hmm. a key point uh, of information. Oh, no worries. The underground space section. Mm-hmm. Of- about it's actually two stories underground this was opened in 2006 oh um, and okay this section was part of um, of a, a wonderful renovation uh, that was uh, in part with Ralph Applebaum and Associates mm-hmm. um, that allows us to have this main gallery that actually uh, is in a circle that surrounds the tower that goes all the way down to the bedrock uh, that has the oh, okay gallery which was opened in 2017 that has a a floor below that um, the Edward Jones Research Center and our Ellis gallery we have a cafe and if you like me are trying to come up with um, holiday gifts we have a museum store especially right now in the year of the centennial of the 19th um, amendment I have to admit I've gone into the store several times and I keep leaving with stuff Oh, Um, (laughs) so there's an online store if people are um, interested not only in the Nineteenth Amendment, but really any part of World War One history.
0: Oh, that's so excellent! No, I'll, I'll um, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll, post links to the to the shop and and um also to the um the Pantheon de, de la Guerre uh oh, yes. video link. So for for sure. So that's oh, that's excellent. Um, wow. So I'm gonna um just kind of switch gears, I, um switch gears a little bit. If I can make a reference to the. A New York Times article from October of 2018, in which you were featured uh, uh, about the museum as well. Um, so what are the four things most American folks know about World War I?
1: Right. And you probably know this as a social studies teacher. <laughs> Somebody got shot. Um, right? There's a Lusitania. The Lusitania sunk. Yep. And then we got into a war and we won it. We won this war against yes. somebody, probably mm-hmm. the Germans, because the Germans may, for some people, just be the bad guy of the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Wilson has 14 points, and that's <laughs> about it. Um, you know, which is. Wildly simplistic um, and, and lucky if people remember those four things. It also makes my job uh, delightful because a lot of Americans come in with a pretty blank slate as to their knowledge of World War One. Uh, there's not a lot of great movies. Uh, so we don't have this um, kind of predisposed idea that we really understand it. Um, right. You know, that we have these visions of Steven Spielberg's um name any of the really great world war ii movies right, uh that, right. that he has done and there are some really interesting world war ones uh movies out there are some uh there's uh, new ones that are just coming out this christmas 1917 yes um, yep. and the like uh wonder woman surprisingly did some really nice stuff uh, mm-hmm. as well though really don't go to that for your history it's um <laughs> just spoiler alert not historically accurate. um
0: Just too bad because that would be great. You know, it would
1: be really interesting, (laughs) Um, and you know, it would be in some ways very, uh, very comforting to feel that you just had the superheroes. Uh, My favorite part, though, is they do kind of make this assumption that uh, curators have underground layers and uh, are in fact superheroes, which I am not going to deny. uh, And and we have the underground layer here, so
0: awesome. Uh, <laughs> this is
1: awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it is It's. It is lovely to be in uh, a space to be able to tell a story of history uh, that people tend to come in uh, with a pretty open uh, – an open mind to because it, it really isn't a story of bad guys versus good guys. Um, this is a lot more complex, which is really a, – a, It really is more of what our present day feels like. It is complex. It is not easy. It is messy. So many people go into this war thinking that they have God on their side and they're doing what's right. Right. Um, You know, that is... That that helps us understand the messiness of today um, in, in other ways. Uh, people tend to forget that uh, we actually fought with Japan. In World yeah. War. there's a lot of these um, kind of um, differences that people, because the first two words are the same as we talk about it many times uh, inside the United States, World War One, World War II, um, that sometimes people might uh, lump it together and it's a joy to be able to um, talk about a generation that's uh, that is different. It it makes these other choices um, that do lead to um, you know that that later generation and absolutely influence who we are and where we are today. I I there's not a day that goes by that you can't open up the front page of a newspaper and see something that is connected directly back to World War One. Uh, we have. Uh, anything that's going on right now in Syria yeah, and finds its starting point, um, you know, back with uh, the decisions that were made around uh, World War One. We've recently had um, a lot of conversation about Kurds and the relationship between um, Turkey and Iraq and uh, kind of the Kurdistan region. Yes. Uh, yep. that is, um, you know, and that conflict remains um, or was intensified in some ways because of the choices that were made um, during the World War uh, and its aftermath. Um, you know, and there's it's not just the Treaty of Versailles. There are um, a variety of treaties that are signed uh, to end this war. And it's really not um, until significantly later. And the United States doesn't even sign the Treaty of Versailles. Now, this cannot, uh, you, you have uh, not only a cat, you have a whole other uh, set of things to do during your day, so I won't get into all of it, but I would invite anybody to come to our YouTube channel, um, and if you want to find out why the United States didn't sign the Treaty of Versailles, we've got a really great lecture by Gary Armstrong okay. uh, that talks about that. Um, if they want to find out more about the interconnectedness between World War I and the Middle East, we've got um, several lectures um, that, that, uh, dig a little deeper, um, into that. There's a, a lot of, um, broad based, if people just need some unpacking of what World War One was, um, but also a lot of deep dive stuff, um, depending upon who's listening to the podcast and what you already know, mm-hmm. uh, coming into this particular, uh, this particular episode.
0: Oh, awesome. And, and what is the, um, what, um, the, the... So
1: YouTube channel? Yeah. Okay. Uh,
0: and just and the...
1: I can give you a link.
0: Oh, perfect, perfect. Okay, great, great.
1: And a, yeah, an easy way to find it is if you go to our website, theworldwar.org, in the upper right hand corner, you'll see that little square with a triangle play button in it. If you yep. click that, it'll send you directly to the YouTube channel.
0: Oh, there you go. Okay, perfect, perfect, great. Wow. So I, I think you, you kind of addressed um, very, very, um, very wonderfully uh, the the some of the the. Two of the next uh, next two questions I had, which were like, um, how how are you trying to expand the base of knowledge out there, and and like what online resources can web visitors access? So this is amazing. So so uh, thank you so much. So yeah,
1: my pleasure. Well, let me let me tell you about a couple more things as well. Mm-hmm. We do have a variety. Of, I know it can be difficult. Um, to uh, find the time to get away. And so if people um, haven't yet been to Kansas City, but right now they want to take a look at some of our exhibitions, they can go onto the website and we've got a variety of digital exhibitions. Um, there is a a whole series within Google arts and culture, looking at some of those posters that I talked about, um, looking at the story of how this was built in Kansas city. Uh, We also have an exhibition about warfare, a culinary exploration of world war one. If you are looking for a gluten-free cupcake recipe, um, it is not new to be uh, gluten-free, friends. Wow. Uh, there's a great one from back in the World War One era. With beautiful photographs that go along with it. There's a whole cookbook that we've digitized that's up there. Um, so folks can take a look at our digital exhibition. Uh, we also have over 40,000 artifacts that have been digitized in our in our online collections database. Wow. So if people have a particular interest in um, – say, motorcycles, you could go to that online collection database and go ahead and just type in motorcycle and see what pops up. Or if people are doing um, any sort of uh, research on their own family history, uh, you can kind of type in some of that, uh, maybe that's a particular um, regiment, or maybe it's a state or a location. Mm -hmm. Um, Type type in, it's not just the United States, it is global. Um, There are some beautiful uh, really stunning photographs that, that people took at the time. Um, so that online collections database is free and available any time of day for people to look through um, parts of our collection that have never been on physical display before. Wow. Oh, excellent. also um, if people are um, educators like yourself, we, mm-hmm. Have an entire education resource database okay. that is in partnership with um, over twenty-five different organizations around the world. The French Centennial Commission, the American Battle Monuments uh, Commission. Um, it is in partnership with our United States World War One Centennial Commission, and really over um, you know this last almost ten years, we've been pulling together the best lessons that are primary source-driven, um, and the best resources to help teach World War I in a different way inside the classroom. Uh, because we really, we know that it is one of the most essential things to understand our present today. So folks can go to wwwtheworldwarorg slash learn, and there is a plethora of really great things, um, some that were built by partners, some that were built by um, our museum educators, mm-hmm. um, and our teacher fellows, uh, we host a teacher fellowship uh, and professional development, not only here in Kansas City, but right now through uh, the congressional funding given to um, the United States World War One Centennial Commission. And then uh, as we are an education arm Uh, we are going to each of the 50 states and providing teacher workshops Um, so we would invite people to take a look at our website and see where one of the next ones might be Uh, we would love to uh, come out and talk in person with folks about how to um, meet everybody's needs inside the classroom uh, or do our best uh, to meet folks needs with what the standards are now with uh, their current set of um, opportunities and challenges
0: Wow, excellent. So with all of these resources and, and, and everything and, and you you guys have been doing great work out there. With the centenary of the Great War now over, do you do you foresee a dip in American interest? Or do you think it's it or has has it remained steady in in the years since the end of the centennial? I I know you only have a year since then, but <laughs> what do you what do you see? What What do you believe will will happen?
1: Uh, well, I, I'll say our ticketing has uh, has not dipped at all. It's it's only increased. We've had some record. Uh, this has been a, a record breaking year. Oh, okay. Um, so I there's a, there's certainly uh, numbers uh, and some statistics that would say that it is not dipping. Um, And for me, we've actually had, we've hosted three symposia, uh, one in Versailles um, on June 28th, one at uh, the United States Institute of Peace Mm -hmm. um, just uh, two weeks ago. And then uh, we host an annual symposia as well. Uh, Next year, it's going to be on the fourth weekend of October. Uh, This year was the first weekend of November. Uh, And so that has certainly had this uh, continued rise of uh, this, this continued interest. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, um, uh, with, uh, with, with history and this particular, with this particular era. Uh, but I hope that people's interest is not driven purely because of an of a anniversary because, uh, but that people recognize just, uh, how compelling this part of history is, yeah, how right. interesting, right? These, um, these narratives and these stories are. Uh, There's some beautiful writing um, and some just, I mean, better than movies uh, and, and uh, stunning, stunning storylines uh, that people have, just even in the diaries that you can flip through in some of our DJ's collection. Um, but then uh, how, how very much it intersects who we are today as a world. Um, so I hope. Uh, so I'm going to be an optimist, I'm going to be a little bit of a Pollyanna, and that this is my job is to help uh, engage people in it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we'll see.
0: <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Well, that, well, that's, well, that's 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 wonderful. Um, I, I'm just gonna um, just got one thing to say, and then one one final question for you, Laura. Um, sure. One thing is, um, I I am so happy you told me about the whole um, the the gluten free um, <laughs> recipes because so. Um, I regularly, um, and I and I pretty much do this on purpose to get eye rolls from my family members, but I will say like, so did you know that that actually comes from World War one? but now, I can I can also bring this up at dinner tonight or or next time. Like, hey, so you know, gluten free. Like, that's that's yeah, you guessed it. Yeah. That's World War One too. So
1: yeah, and they, they were prepared. They were asking everybody to you know uh, reduce their use of flour and sugar. Uh, it was one of the largest humanitarian efforts, sending flour overseas uh, to help feed uh, Belgium. Yeah. I think, uh, according to some statistics, it was only surpassed with uh, the the recent aid. To Indonesia after the tsunami. Okay. Uh, so there's, a, I mean, there's, there's some again, some spectacular, um, some spectacular stories um, of heroism and activity, uh, and a lot of fun stuff like the gluten-free cupcakes.
0: <laughs> oh, that's excellent. And and finally, um, yes, some of us will go there and spend the entire day at the museum and may have to possibly be dragged out. Um, after closing um, but there is much more to Kansas City um, correct as, as we were talking earlier um, yeah could you could you tell us a little bit about what to do once very sadly the museum does close for the day
1: right oh my pleasure and I Kansas City is just a spectacular city to visit. Uh, We've got one of, we have several art museums, uh, one that uh, we've partnered with, Mm -hmm. and it's one of the best and one of the most well-known in the nation. The Nelson Atkins Art Museum um, is here. That is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from the plaza it is a shopping district and restaurant district uh, that was opened in 1927 so again you get this really um beautiful kind of 1920s very spanish inspired uh, architecture that actually it that was uh the inspiration for rodeo drive it was the first kind of um, shopping district built for cars oh. and automobiles um Easy to walk around those spaces, some beautiful parks uh, in and around. The culinary scene is amazing. We really are, we are known for our barbecue, but we're so much more. Um, We've got amazing uh, breweries, you know, yes, amazing breweries, some amazing distilleries. Uh, Folks might be able to uh, go visit Rieger um, Distillery, which I think is now in 25 different spaces. Boulevard Brewery, Tomstown, I I even start on this. Um, I'm not going to hit all the people that I should. A great scene there, a phenomenal, we've got James Beard award winners, James Beard uh, award finalists, as far as restaurants are concerned. Wow. Um, modern art, beautiful um, art uh, center that was opened in 2014 and a, a theater there with um, award-winning symphony Um, And the Lyric Opera, we've got a phenomenal ballet and uh, Union Station right across the street uh, is a spectacular place for not only food, you can actually still take the train in to the city. Uh, but they've got all sorts of stuff for um, kind of science city, science center. We've got a Legoland, an aquarium. There is literally everything for the whole family. So wow. folks who are tuning into this podcast, you like World War One? I, <laughs> I know you're going to love this space, but the rest of your family, yeah. if they're not as interested in history as you are, mm-hmm. uh, they will find something that they adore about this city as well.
0: Oh, well, awesome! Wow, Laura, thank thank you so much, um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, thank you so much for for um, taking the time to, to to share the museum with us and and, and its features and exhibits and um, and just um, thank you for what um, oh, just, just for the the enthusiasm you bring. <laughs> this is great. This is. I'm, Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) And I realize there's one thing that I haven't shared yet that I I alluded to, uh, and so I'll end with this if I may, and it's actually the thing that faces the city. So we really have this great view of Kansas City. Oh, also sports, our soccer team, right. uh Sporting Kansas City, the Kansas City Chiefs, mm-hmm. the, the Royals. I, yeah, again, I could just keep going. Uh, but what faces our city um, is actually an inscription on the Great Freeze okay. uh, that was written back in the 1930s. Um, it was, I think it was 1935. And it says this, uh, and it's really the foundation of Your Nation's Museum and Memorial Um, These have dared bear the torches of sacrifice and service. Their bodies return to dust, but their work liveth forevermore. Let us strive on to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. And that lessons in particular is just, it's, it's part of the reason why we're here. It is such a call to the present mm-hmm. from those who sacrificed so much in the past about um, building community and engaging in learning from history. So come see it for yourselves. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you here in Kansas city sometime soon. Yes. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Oh, absolutely. What <laughs> oh,
0: absolutely. Wow. All right. Wow. Um, wow. Again, thank, thank you again. And, and, um, and we'll we'll yes, I will get down there soon, most definitely. So,
1: <laughs> excellent. Well, we'll take care, Laura. You too. Okay.